Welcome to the Andy Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 182. I'm your host, Evan Minto. My usual co-host, David Estrella, is not with me today, but back on the show is our editor, Patrick Sutton. Welcome back. Hey, I'm back. It's been a minute since I've been here. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, happy to have Pat back from behind the, well, what would it be, the soundboard, I guess? There's no soundboard, but the... <laughs> Uh, and, uh, we, we have a guest today. It is friend of the show, Tom Asnable. No relation, of course. Of course. Hey, everybody. How are you all doing? Uh, it's been a few years since I've been on Anna Gamers, and I think on most podcasts, actually. So, this will be, this will be a treat. It is a treat. And actually, you know, you know, it was a treat, uh, spending the weekend at Otakon 2023 with you guys. That's what we'll be talking about today. <laughs> It's true. That is a thing we all did together. Yeah, so we're going to do a little uh, little, little con report. Uh, we had, a, I think, a pretty good time at Otakon, which I'll say is my favorite anime convention. I think that might be the case for you guys, but is that true? I would say so. Uh, at this point, like, outside of when other cons get, like, special guests and stuff like that, Otakon's, like, the only convention I'm actively looking forward to every year. Yeah, honestly, I would have said Anime Next, but... Uh, this isn't an Anime Next Con report, but I will say Anime Next this year was bad. So <laughs> it is uh, no longer <laughs> my kind of, you know, second runner up after uh, Otakon. <laughs> you mean you don't, you don't like doing uh, fan panels 20 minutes away from the main venue in a in a hotel? Uh, you know, it was it was really fun to be on the highway for half of the time that I was at the con. But uh, despite that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, highways are exciting. That is, yeah. I mean, highways are the place where you can recreate initial D in real life. Yeah, put on some Euro beat and let it go. But Otakon does not require you to get in the highway to go to different venues. It requires you to requires us to ride on the highway to get there, but once we're there, uh we're there for the weekend. And, oh, yeah, and you know what? Pat, I'm so glad that we are talking about modes of transportation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, Otakon taking place uh, July 28th to 30th, 2023 in Washington, D.C. had a theme. It always has a theme. And this year's theme was trains. Yeah. Super cool. This is a good theme. Really good theme. And uh, they try to encourage people to do panels that are related to the theme. And, you know, sometimes the theme is a little too vague and it's kind of hard to come up with panels that really match it or like they're too, you know, the panels you might come up with are too obscure or something. Uh, trains was great. There were so many train panels. Yeah, there were definitely more than usual, like actual panels on the theme. It was easily the most panels I've seen on theme. Like, I feel like most years people just ignore it or it's like not a big presence at all. But like this one, not only were a lot of people on theme, but there was like actual, was it like partnership with like, uh, with actual train related things? Yeah. Well, um, one of the sponsors this year was like a, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is a special interest group that's trying to, uh, push forth a, a plan to build a maglev system, uh, between Washington DC and New York City. Um, which will be great for us because it would mean we don't have to ride on the highway to go to Otakon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, there was like train themed, there were train themed booths, there was train themed, uh, Otakon had their own merch that was train themed. I got like a Shinkansen pin from Otakon. Uh, uh, tons of train panels. They had this, uh, like train stop, like, archway in the convention center that was really cool which is the first time they'd done something like that so that was really neat there was a model train table in the uh, what was the deal with that i feel like we, i didn't actually stop to figure out why it was there but there were model trains in the dealer's room it was like the model train club of washington dc or something like that that rule and they set up like a display with some trains and and like, I think it's like specifically like the Japanese model train club of Washington DC. Cause they had like a lot of, um, like the, 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 the big thing they had going was like clearly Tokyo and they had like Shinkansen and stuff like that. Okay. So these are the weebs of the model train community. Yes. They're like, Oh my God, we get it. You think that Japan is better on all the model trains. Yeah. And they do have different, uh, model train like standards and stuff in Japan too. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the anime. It's, of course, you know, far superior to the, the horrible American version. Yeah, it's much uh, smaller for your adult hands. <laughs> ah, all right. We're finally on the subject of the real star of Otakon 2023. 
uh so we stayed in the same hotel room and uh pat oh wait who found this pat you had it or did tom i think tom found it this was a me find because uh well, Pat was rehearsing his giant robot train panel, Great panel in the next room, and I was hunting for some B-roll, basically, some uh, clips of uh, just train-related toy ads. I was starting out by looking for those crazy Tyco, like, slot car-style trains that, like, race upside down and, like, up walls and then, like, do jumps and things, but somehow in the related searches... There was an old ad for Lionel Trains hosted by the man in black himself, Johnny Cash, which turns out he did a whole campaign of these. But uh, yeah, the one we found just happened to hit the perfect note to both to basically bookend Pat's panel with. Yeah, because I yeah, I, I saw it afterwards and was like, oh, yeah, this has to be there. And then I played it. Twice at the opening of my panel, like once early <laughs> on when the sound wasn't really working, and then once right before we started, because I was like, okay, this is a good thing. And then I played it at the end, too, which it was a very big hit. Uh, it's very goofy. Can't tell you how many times we watched that over the course of the week. <laughs> we just kept putting it on every time someone was in the room. <laughs> just an incredibly compelling slogan for their ad campaign. The big train for small hands. Said with the Johnny Cash voice. Yes. Uh, whoever edits this, me or Pat, should make sure to actually include the audio. Here. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Embedded in the episode. <laughs> if anybody loves trains, it's me, Johnny Cash. You know, if your boy's under 10 like mine is, he needs a big Lionel like this Black River Freight. Lionel also makes HO gauge trains for older kids like this Burlington 181. But for smaller hands, the big Lionel is easier to handle and put on the track. This Christmas, get your boy a train that's built for the way young boys play. A big, rugged Lionel. Lionel, the big train for small hands. But, yeah, uh, lots of trains. Yeah, trains all around. A lot of trains. Uh, I was going to list uh, some of the, the train-related panels. I mean, we'll, we'll get into panels in more detail, and we're definitely going to talk about guests. But uh, gi- Giant Train Robots of Anime and More was uh, Pat and our friend Carl's panel, and uh, that was excellent. I agree. Uh, it was great. Such a perfect... It, it really is like a perfect panel for the con and the theme. It's like a perfect combination because like this con had a lot of like mecha guests. Otakon tends to have a lot of mecha stuff and a lot of mecha fans. So it's just like robots plus trains. And then, you know, you guys know your stuff so well. So it was, it was a really, really entertaining panel. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun doing it. I was really happy with the audience. The audience was really, really into it um train robots are always kind of funny so it's uh it was a lot of fun there's that too (laughs) so yeah honestly they go to it is like a chocolate peanut butter type situation Mm. train robots are just very a very good combination yeah they're really compelling uh some other ones that were done by friends of ours and really show just the range i think of like subject matter you can cover with trains uh, Carl did the Densha Otoko panel. Great idea. The 20th anniversary of Densha Otoko oh. panel. Oh. I feel yeah, like that needs to that. be specified. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Densha, for those of you who uh, you know are 20 years old and don't know what this is, uh, Densha Otoko is a possibly apocryphal two chan story i mean it's definitely uh, apocryphal but whether but like oh i guess apocryphal means it might or might not be true right yeah yeah um and it's definitely a a real pop culture phenomenon in japan yes it story of a guy who supposedly saved this woman from being harassed on a train and uh and he was like an otaku right and so then they fall in love and there were like dramas and all sorts of stuff made out of it a legend internet legend as as carl put in the the uh panel name but uh you know i appreciate the fact that there's not actually the train is not that important to densha otoko but it's in the name right it's it's where it happened so it's like it it is in theme to be you know it's a train panel 100 percent uh and then uh wa former guests of this podcast uh did a trains in Tokyo panel, uh, how to get around the, in the Japanese capital. So that's just just about trains, like no anime at all, just just like how to navigate Tokyo via the trains, uh, which is also a lot of fun. I really liked. He had stuff like he was he would just be like uh, Chuo Line deep cuts. Here's some of the best stations on the Chuo Line. <laughs> that's like real train otaku stuff. Yeah, uh, there was 23 train manga recommendations for grownups. That's from uh, from Zan. Zan. They also screened like the Galaxy Express movies. Oh, I didn't catch that, but that's that's great. Yeah. Did, were, was there? Did they do a lot of like themed screenings? I 
Probably a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, they screened a night on the Galactic Railroad too. Um, but, and there, there was also like a panel about like the trains of Galaxy Express 3-9 and like their influences. A lot of like, just way more train stuff than you usually get out of, or way more themed stuff than you usually get even out of Otakon. Uh, yeah, there was a panel about the song Drops of Jupiter. Uh, no. Lots of trains. That's, that's all I got. I love trains. Uh, They're cool. I, yeah, big fan of trains here. Love a good train. Uh, now, the guests, I feel like, is the real the real big thing this year, especially for you guys, because uh, this was like a stacked mecha guest lineup. Yeah, one of the best you could possibly have, honestly. And the the big one, of course, is is the the Macross folks. So I guess I'll, I'll Pat, you you can introduce uh, who was here. Yeah, so uh, Shuj Kawamori was here, the creator of Macross, uh, director of a lot of the stuff, and all blah 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 blah. He's been to Otakon a few times in the past. Uh, most recently, like I don't know, what, like five years ago now four i think something like that like i think they it was mi- definitely after they had moved to dc it was after they moved to see dc but before the pandemic yeah so four is probably right um and i think they mentioned at his panel the first time he'd been to otakon was like 20 years ago like in like 2003 or something like that uh and then with him was uh hidetaka tenjin who also this isn't this is his second time at Otakon, the first time he was there would have been like five or six years ago. It would have been at, uh, it was still in Baltimore, uh, who is like an illustrator and designer. He's done a lot of Macross, like design and illustration stuff. He also does a lot of like art for, uh, model kit boxes for Macross and Gundam and stuff like, and Star Wars and stuff like that. Um, very, they have a very cool dynamic. It feels, they, they give off the vibe of like Tenjin is Kawamori's like, little brother almost kind of thing it's an interesting panel dynamic too because tenjin actually does speak english so it's almost like he has to like uh be polite for the translator where the translator has to translate the english questions before he can answer so obviously the other japanese guests on the panel can understand the question uh but it's just it's a funny little uh funny little dynamic i think really importantly about shoji kawamori is this was the first time he had been to, I don't know if it, it was the first time he'd been to America doing this. It's the first at time at Otakon post the deal with Big West and Harmony Gold. Yeah, so the first time he's able to officially promote Macross at Otakon. And it's the first, I think it's the first time, it's the first time they have been there specifically representing Big West and Macross mm. too. This is the first time Big West was specifically at a convention representing Macross. Yeah, and I, I mean that's that's a a big deal, right? Because even when Kawamori was there before, he could answer questions about Ma- Macross, but it wasn't like he wasn't there to promote it. It wasn't available. Right, you weren't getting you weren't getting toy announcements at, at his panel. Like when he was talking about, um, like at his panel at uh, Otakon the last time he was there, the show he was talking about when he wasn't just broadly talking about his career was that Netflix show he did a couple years ago that I don't even remember the name of with the transforming cars. I don't remember the name of that. Was it last? Was it last hope or something? It's something like that. It's last something. It has it has a goofy full title, I think. But either way, like them getting to actually be there and talk about Macross as a whole, and then there they had a Macross quote unquote exhibit in the exhibit hall for the convention, which was largely they had a statue of uh, which Valkyrie was that, Tom? So, I think it was the Messiah, yeah. the VF twenty five. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, um, and then posters for all the macross properties that big west is allowed to promote in the west which starts from flashback 2012 all the way through the current day which is delta um and then like a little display case that had like some different kind of merchandise from different eras um culminate and then they sold some merchandise like pins and shirts and things like that uh and all that kind of culminated in them announcing uh, the figure for the, uh, the YF-21, right? Uh, at their panel. At the actual panel, yeah. Which was a, a global first time announcement for this figure, the, the, the DX Jagokin YF-21, cause they've done the 19 and they've re-released the 19 multiple times and they've teased doing the 21 forever. 
Uh, and now they're finally doing it. Yeah, they announced that at the panel they had the prototype in hand, and then for the rest of the weekend it was in the display at the exhibit. It was super cool. And I, every, everyone expected the, the Macross Zero details at the panel, right? Yeah. That was very odd, because they seem to be pretty heavy talking about Macross Zero, which notably Macross Zero is kind of the last outlier of licenses uh, for the actual release of Macross, West, or Macross in the West. Which was like, that was the big thing last year, right? So at, they announced at Anime Expo and then followed up with a panel at Otakon that like Macross is going to be available in English now, finally. Right, because, and it's like a scattered release. Like Animego has Macross 2, Nozomi has uh, Frontier, Delta, and 7. Uh, and is it Anime Limited has Macross Plus? Yeah. So... So Zero is still the the odd man out, but it does seem like they were talking about it more than anything else in the actual subject or the actual content of what they were talking about. Yeah, at the there was a Big West Macross panel, and it was a two hour time slot. Um, it had some technical difficulties, but beyond that, everybody did. Everybody yeah. did. We can talk about that stuff towards the end of this discussion, probably, or the end of the podcast. The first half of it was kind of like a. Cur- like a career and like life retrospective on Macross for Tenjin and Kawamori. Um, and one of the big parts of their discussion there was really focused on zero to the point where they like showed clips from zero and stuff like that. Uh, and everyone's response to that is why the hell are they talking about zero so much? That's the one that's not like licensed or announced yet. It's also my, my understanding is zero is also not, like one of the most fan favorite ones either so yeah it's, it's like a weird it's, one to focus on it's i mean you'd probably like uh, i i i think most macross fans would say they they want that more than two and they're all wrong <laughs> i i have not seen zero i have seen two and i wasn't a fan so. zero also has connections to macross frontiers story in some ways um and original of course yeah <laughs> obviously being into the original one of course which I guess would be like the only time you're going to see Roy Foker in a uh, a non Harmony Gold release, right? Right. Mm. Um, but also, I think part of the reason now they didn't announce it. I was certain they would announce it by the end. I'm sure part of the reason they spoke about it so much is that it kind of is. It, it was the first time that Tenjin had worked on a Macross anime production. Mm. He had previously worked on the uh, the some of the PlayStation games. Uh, but I think that's because they specifically worked together on that. I think that might have been one reason that they focused on it. Probably. It was very surprising that they didn't actually announce it. Because that is, that is something I want. I actually, I like, I like Zero Fine, like the story, whatever. But the uh, the visuals are pretty impressive. And when they were showing the clips, I was really kind of amazed at how well they hold up for being an early implementation of of cg macross yeah i mean i'll be honest i was surprised too like oh this holds up better than i was expecting it still looks kind of like video game cutscenes from that era but like anything is going to but kind of on the higher end yeah 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 like they were like they were talking about like i think tenjin's specific job was he basically textured and detailed the bottom of the valkyrie via like projection mapping so that gave it kind of a different look than just like the flat, shiny textures that you would normally see that are like much more designed and painted, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it was just a weird hole. I mean, that they were talking about the thing that isn't out. I'm sure it's I would be surprised if there's not already a deal for it. They just ha- have can't or just choose not to announce it yet. For all we know, logistical reasons meant that maybe they planned to announce it and they couldn't. That's what I was going to say. It kind of read to me like like they were lined up for it and we're like, you know, it's not all finalized, so we can't actually do the announcement. But they were like prepared to promote it. Yeah. And so like the ones we know are coming now, like are the ones that are the most imminent are two, which Animego is doing a Kickstarter for. And they had a panel about where they specifically talked about the Kickstarter for Macross 2 and then Macross Plus, which is the all the anime anime limited release. Uh, that's coming next year. Um, they've done some theatrical screenings and stuff like that. And then they're also going to be doing like a vinyl soundtrack box set, which I'm very excited for. Uh, so Macross is cool. They did that first pan. So the first hour was the- them talking about their careers and it was very cool. Uh, like we, like we were saying, they have a very nice dynamic 
um, and are really kind of fun to kind of see bounce off each other. And then kind of the second half of the panel was the Big West business side. Like, Tenjin and Kawamori stayed in the room, but they, like, sat down to the side. Um, and then it kind of just turned into a parade of Big West business partners coming up and talking about <laughs> their, like, yeah. here is producer man from Japan. Thank you. And then here, here is a trailer for the thing. And it was just like, it was kind of awkward. The, the, the Bandai guy was cool. And I wish he was a guest because I'd have loved to talk to that guy because he's like the producer for the, um, for the Macross Mer, the Macross toys and model kits for Bandai. So like, he's the guy who's like leading the team that's making the DX Chogokin Valkyries. And he was also a very charismatic presenter who had apparently memorized his presentation in English. So he went the extra mile. He was very proud to show off all the different figures. And they talked about like, cause they have like an exclusive version of one of those. They've got these little Valkyries that come with the uh, idols that kind of sit on them. They're little toys, and they have, like, an exclusive one that's going to be in the the New York store that's getting ready to open up. And so he was really cool, and then the rest of them were all kind of just dry business people, like, here is Ma- here is Macross products. And then there was a guy who wanted, like, here is the video game uh, that looks kind of just okay at best. Um it was it was interesting uh getting a two hour block for that kind of thing and even then like they were kind of rushing through at the end to get like all of their corporate partners up and just as succinctly as possible make their announcements uh the the new store announcement was also what was kind of funny uh it's in like Times square (laughs) it's a flagship permanent store uh in Times square for tamashi nations which is interesting uh, I wonder how that goes for them. Yeah, it seems a little, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of a reach, uh, a little more niche to me. I mean, we were talking about this, uh, and I could be wrong on my read on this, but it does feel more niche than, let's say, for example, the M and M store. So I wonder, yeah, what kind of it sales seems, they're going to get. It seems like a prestige get, right? It's like we have a store in Times Square for exactly the duration of the lease, and never again. <laughs> So, in addition to the Macross guests, there was also uh, Shinji Aramaki, uh, who I have actually interviewed before at Anime Next, but uh, when was the last time he was at Otakon? When it was in Baltimore. Okay, yeah, yeah. It had been quite a while. Uh, also, a very cool dude, designer of the uh, of the Garland from Megazone 2-3, uh, directed some great stuff like Maddox Zero One, um, but... Uh, did a bunch of stuff on Bubblegum Crisis, which I'm a big fan of. Bubblegum Crisis a ton, and then, like, most famous in the 21st century for, uh, being a champion of Japanese CG, uh, starting with, like, the CG Appleseed movie in the early 2000s, all the way to now, directing all those Netflix CG anime shows, like Ultraman and Ghost in the Shell, whatever it's called, and Blade Runner. I do remember the last time that I saw him at a convention was when he was at Anime Next, and I believe he was specifically there to promote the Ultraman uh, adaptation. Yeah, him and Kamiyama. Yeah, but he wasn't here promoting anything specifically, right? He was basically just here as a, you know, a, a prestige mecha guest, which is cool. It also means that he's not forced to talk about whatever mediocre uh, CG movie that's coming out. Sorry, Aramaki-san, but, uh, you know. It's also kind of interesting because he's like, he's kind of tangentially related to Macross via Robotech, right? Because he did a lot of the designs for Mos Vita, but they can't really acknowledge that aspect. Yeah. Like, he, he did a lot of the designs for Mouspita, and one of his more recent things he's done outside of the CG things is designing new, um, toys, uh, new Mouspita toys, basically. Uh, and I think, like, his only, like, panels at the con were, they did a big mecha video games panel with a bunch of people, and we'll talk about that once we get through all the guests. Um, and then he did a career retrospective panel, and I think that was it. Uh, so his, in his retrospective was his entire career. So, you know, half of it is before all the CG stuff and any of the modern stuff. So, uh, yeah, really cool guy. Uh, really seems just genuinely excited to talk about like his work and animation and design and video games and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's one of those interesting ones where it's like, you know, I think, 
uh, speaking at least, you know, for me and Tom, and I think you too, Pat, like, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of his, his like recent CG stuff. I, I can't think of much of it that I've, I've really liked, but it's like, he's really talented and he's really like genuinely passionate about that stuff. And so I was like, I have a lot of respect for the guy, even if I don't really like a lot of the stuff that he directs nowadays. So it's just cool to like, we got to interview him. It, it's always cool to like hear his thoughts on the industry. I mean, the, the, I don't think that the animation is necessarily at fault either. Like the animation in his movies tends to be pretty good. I just think they tend to fall flat in other ways. Uh, Ultraman being the exception, because I think that was kind of an experiment that didn't really work. One thing, I went to his career retrospective panel, which was similar to the one he did at uh, Anime NYC a couple years back, which I guess would be the last time I saw him. Because uh, he was there to promote one of the Netflix shows, but then also like they they premiered the remaster of Maddox Zero One there, and he kind of talked about that, and then had a career retrospective panel. But like, if you see his like design work, he's still an incredible designer. Like, even if like you're not a fan of what the CG stuff is like, he's still an incredible artist uh, to this day, and continues to do really good work. Um, his career retrospective was, uh, was fun. Um, I know most of his career, so it's not like a thing where I've seen, a, I haven't seen much of it before. Um, most notable things is, unlike the previous one, it, it included Megazone 2-3, unlike the anime NYC version did. And then the more, the more notable thing is that he, and this has been reported on the internet, so I'm not like breaking some kind of thing to say it, but like, he showed some concept art and screenshots from his canceled or disappeared um, Alien vs. Predator cartoon that he worked on that is supposedly completed and was just never released. Uh, so that was kind of neat to see. That does sound cool. Nothing, no motion, no video, just, uh, mm -hmm. just stills designs. and, and de designs and then some actual stills from the show. Oh, cool. And still his CG style. Um, so it looked similar to that stuff, but like, saw like a, what a xenomorph looked like in that, I guess. Yeah, that's gotta be interesting to see his, his take on the xenomorph has gotta be interesting. His take on the xenomorph, and I remember that his take on the, the predator being really cool looking. Uh, I couldn't describe it to you anymore, but I remember it being cool looking. Yeah, maybe we'll get to see that someday. Probably not. Yeah, very weird that it's just on a shelf somewhere. Um, there was also, uh, Tarada, who I didn't get to meet, but you got to do an interview with Pat. Yeah. So, um, what is his first? What is his full name? It's a uh, uh, Takanobu Tarada, who is a career like Bandai Banpresto guy uh, who's been working. So, like, most notably, he's producer of the Super Robot War series for like the past twenty years, basically. Um. And this was completely out of left field. Like, what the heck is this guy doing here kind of thing? Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, he did one autograph session. He did one panel, which was the big group Mecha video games panel. Um, and that was really it. I interviewed him. He's a very, very nice guy. You'll see uh, the results of the interview on the website eventually once I get around to transcribing it. Um, but yeah, very cool guy. He's worked in video games forever. He's a freelance producer now. He doesn't work. He's not like at Bandai anymore, but he's still heavily involved in Super Robot Wars. Um, he was pretty soft spoken at the big Mecha Guys panel, um, or the Mecha Video Games panel, but, uh, had a lot to say when it was just him there. So yeah, so there was a Mecha Video Games panel that featured Tarada, Kawamori, Tenjin, Aramaki, and then the MC was stacked. Ollie Barter, who is a, who works for Aramaki and has worked in video games in the past. And has interviewed a number of those guests. Yes. And worked with some of them other than Aramaki. And, uh, it really kind of just ended up being, it was interesting the way it was structured. It was kind of, cause it just kind of bounced around to each of them, kind of talking to them about different, um, things they've done in video games. Uh, so like Kawamori and doing the mechanical designs for, uh, Armored Core, especially relevant because the new Armored Core is coming out in like a week. Yeah. Which is crazy. All the different work Tenjin's done, the fact that Tenjin kind of got his break was doing work for the Macross video games on the PS1. Aramaki uh, and doing work on Halo, which was uh, interesting. 
Mm-hmm. And then Tarada going like, like Tarada just being kind of like, yeah, I'm, I work on all these video games. People ask, I, I do what they tell me to basically kind of guy. He, he's a different kind of, like, obviously he's important to mecha video games, but not in the way that these other guys are. Like he's not in design. Right. Right. Like, he has influenced the design of stuff in different ways, but he is not a designer. I was really surprised to see uh, Kawamori had done a, basically a robot design for a Call of Duty mobile game. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Call of Duty mobile game to begin with, and I learned that uh, Shoji Kawamori designed a mecha for it, so that's interesting. Or like a, you know, like a robot soldier. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I was trying to remember, there was one that, uh, what was the bit when, uh, Aramaki was talking about something, and Tenjin's like, oh, 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 I did the box art for that. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, uh, the new Garland toy. Yeah, that was it, because he was, because... Aramaki was talking about his, uh, how the garland was kind of him going, oh, I don't have to worry about this being a toy so I can kind of break some of the rules about, like, how it functions in real life, and then how the toy designers, you know, 20 years later go, no, we're gonna make this work in real life kind of thing. Right. And then Tenjin, like, you could see, as he mentioned this toy, he popped up. Because he's like, ooh, 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 ooh. And he's, like, waiting. And he waited, like, five minutes because, like, they moved on. And the moment he had a second to talk, he was like, oh, by the way, I designed the box for that toy you were talking about. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, this was a really cool thing I did for a thing you worked on. Very proud of it. That stuff is really cool and why I wish we had more panels that kind of, like, slammed a bunch of interesting guests together to talk about a related subject because it's cool when you get to see somebody be like oh i'm a fan of your work or like you know oh i actually we kind of ships passing in the night we worked on the same thing in some way but never actually talked to each other who knows if aramaki had any any direct knowledge of that right right yeah i'd be surprised if he did like the one i i i mentioned um to it might have been to you guys would be like i would love to get kawamori and aramaki in a room together um, just to talk about Noboru Ishiguro, because mm. he's so important to both of their careers, like two of their most like famous works that are they're most directly tied to. Like he, he had a huge hand in and he the, directed Macross and Megazone specifically. Yeah, yeah. and he. And Kawamori and uh, Aramaki didn't really were those kind of guys that were like in very close proximity to each other for a ton of their career. And I'm sure they know each other pretty well, but like never really did any real work together. So it's like, I think that could be a really interesting kind of thing to get out of those two guys at the same mm-hmm. time. I do love the idea of like almost a career tribute from other notable creatives. Like, I don't think I've seen that before, and that would be really interesting. Yeah, you could do that about, there's lots of people you could do that about, but Ishiguro is a really good idea. Sure. I mean, like Matsumoto passing recently, it'd be cool to see like people who have worked on Matsumoto adaptations. Leiji Matsumoto. Talk about them. Yes, Leiji Matsumoto, yeah. yes. That's true. There's a lot of Matsumotos. <laughs> and the thing that made me think about it is because I brought my, um, my Megazone 2 3 DVDs to the con and got it uh, signed uh, by uh, Aramaki, and it's also signed by Ishiguro. And he like saw that and was like real excited about it. He's like, Oh, yeah, I miss him, that kind of thing. And it's like, Okay, it would be really great to have like a conversation with these guys about that relationship with him. And I just went I had and a similar, I had a similar response when I had uh, Kawamori sign my Macross DVDs a few years ago, because I also, I, we got the Ishiguro autographs at the same time. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. Very similar reaction. Uh, and this is uh, tangential, but like I pulled up Ishiguro's uh, Wikipedia entry for a second. And the photo of him is from Otakon in 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that because he went to Otakon a bunch. Yeah, I remember. I I met him like at an autograph signing at Otakon. I don't think I ever interviewed him, but I did get to meet him briefly. I remember, and then we can move on to whatever else, but I remember once I was at Otakon. It was after I got an autograph signed from him, uh, and I was just wandering around the con. I was going to the – this was still in Baltimore, obviously. I was going down to the dealer's hall, and I just f- saw him wandering around by himself. 
Oh, I think I remember that. Like, I think I also saw him in the hallway at some point. Yeah, he was just kind of chilling. I, 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 I went up to him and just said thank you, and then kind of left him to his own devices. But like, uh, yeah, like he was just one of those guys that kind of liked to chill like that. Yeah, man, he was cool. He was cool. All right, moving on. We got more guests to go through. I don't think we're going to spend this much time on all of them. And there's a lot of them that we didn't even pay any attention to. It was so, really a colossal yeah. guest list. Like, yeah. there was, it feels like they set an attendance record just in the amount of guests they had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, down the list here, there, there were the guests that I was really interested in, which was, uh, there were folks from Studio Trigger, uh, Masahiko Otsuka, who is the, um, the president of trigger as well as he doesn't really direct too much but he did direct uh one of the shorts in the first star wars visions which was kind of his like return to directing after a while um and uh you know i'm trying to get their names here i don't have it off the top of my head but uh two animators uh also from trigger and this is interesting because they are both uh pretty young kind of up-and-coming animators yeah uh Takuya Saito and Shunpei Gunyasu. Yes, they were both uh, guys who kind of came up through Gridman and Promare um, and then, yeah, worked on uh, on BNA. And uh, I think they both worked on like the new uh, uh, Gridman universe. So it's kind of like this whole new generation. They, I think they both worked at uh, on Edge Runners also, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. It's like new generation at Studio Trigger, and I thought it was really cool that they brought them out. Right, we always see the same guys from Trigger who I love, but there's a lot more to the studio than just the kind of old school guys who kind of founded it and started up the culture there. Um, there's a lot of a lot of animators who people don't know the names of who are making all these shows trigger tng yeah that's right that's right and you know unfortunately i didn't get to interview them because they did like a press conference style interview instead of individual interviews because i would have really wanted to talk to them about like from the perspective of younger animators what what's the culture like right what is uh what is it like working there right because it's different to ask the guys who are best friends with hiroyuki imaishi right that's a whole different experience that they're having <laughs> Um, and they did a panel. Um, I don't think there was, there wasn't really anything super new. They had just done stuff at, um, at AX. So they, they were talking up like Delicious in Dungeon, um, and kind of answering questions from fans, but no, no big uh, announcements or anything. But it was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, it's always nice to see Otsuka too, uh, who I think he's very mellow, uh, but, but seems to have a, just have a really good time like meeting fans at events. Yeah, I unfortunately missed their stuff. Uh, just timing didn't work out. One of their panels was really early in the morning, and that's just hard. Uh, and in addition to that was uh, some folks from Studio Orange, uh, another studio that I'm a very big fan of. Uh, there was friend of the show, Yoshihiro Watanabe, who has uh, been on the podcast for an interview before. Uh, and he's a producer. He's like one of the two prominent like english-speaking people at an anime studio who's like doing overseas promotion i feel like it's him and uh and tatsuru tatamoto from trigger or like the two guys i think of who are really out there like emceeing events and stuff uh, yeah he's the hype man for the company yeah and he's also like an actual creative producer on the show which is pretty cool uh so he's like directly involved with creative decisions and then he shows up and is able to speak in fluent english about what is going on uh, specifically, in this case, they were there to promote the new Trigun Stampede, which uh, wrapped its first season and it's getting a, a second season this year. I forget exactly when it's coming out, but there is a second season coming. And uh, the two guys they had were uh, Waki Kiyotaka, who's a CG producer, and uh, Shingo Kiyomiya, who's uh, a CG director at Orange. So I went to their panel. I think, Tom, you were there, too. Yeah, I did. I did manage to... Sh I wasn't there quite on time, but I, I knew I found the right room because I saw the line of abandoned <laughs> cosplayer Wolfwood crosses against the wall. I guess somebody must have put it against the wall and someone else was like, oh, I'll put mine there too. And then it just piled up and everybody put theirs there. Might as well. They just, they just flocked together. I mean, if it's a... It was, a, I assume, a pretty full panel room, right? Oh, Very yeah, and it so. was a big room. It was like a big ballroom. And that panel was wild. People were yes. going crazy. It was so it's, good. It's it's not a reaction that I tend to see, because I guess my... Right. I don't, I don't exist in that Venn diagram a lot, but like it felt like the first third of the uh of the panel room was like young women and girls 
and were super into everything that they saw, like every new character design. Cause they were showing a lot of pre-production work, which is really cool. Yeah. Seeing yeah. all the different like ideas they had for how to adapt the designs for Trigun. Yeah. Like basically every iteration of the Vash design, every iteration of the Wolfwood and knives and all the other characters, but like nearly every single time of slide advanced, it's just like a chorus of Oz came up from like the front half of the place. It was really incredible, except for when they got to knives because those first uh, few uh, were very uh, kind of ugly and villainous looking, and uh, the fans don't want that. They want the pretty knives. Right, and I think uh, Watanabe, or I think he was translated for some one of the guys, but they were saying like, Knives, the key is Knives is not a villain. And then the crowd went crazy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's pretty good. Also, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, with, uh, Nabe and like, it was really great seeing him up there. Like, he was so, like, getting everyone hyped in a way. Like, he's also like, uh, like I was saying about Otsuka, he's a very mellow guy. And so it was really fun watching him go up there and be like, are you guys ready? And they're like freaking out. He's like, you're not loud enough. It's time for Trigun. It was great. The Trigun, yeah. The fangirl response at the Trigun panel was really special. <laughs> Yeah, also, you know, I always love a kind of, like, uh, you know, sugar that makes the medicine go down kind of thing. And, like, you know, uh, I appreciate that that panel has all the kind of, like, hype stuff and just the, the you know, stuff to, to get, like, just people who, who just really like the characters involved, right? But then also it was getting into, like, details about the production and just, like, it was very educational at the same time. So I love that kind of, like, mix of entertainment and education, like... When he was getting into like breakdowns of individual shots where they would show each different step in the CG process, you'd get to see like, oh, they here's how they blocked out the characters and here's where they added textures and here's where they like zoomed in and refined the facial animation. And it was great to see something that isn't just like marketing. It's not just hype. It's also like teaching people how the show gets made. And it seems like people were engaged the entire time. That's the, I've always, I've been saying this for so long. It's like, there's such an assumption that sometimes happens that like, because the audience maybe appears to be engaging with only like shallower aspects of the show, that that's the only thing they could possibly be interested in. But often if you contextualize it right and you, you kind of like get people hyped for it, people do want to learn all that stuff. Like fans, they're fans of the show. Like they find it interesting to learn about how it gets made. Uh, I think the example I always give is like uh, when I did a panel for Yuri on Ice, uh, that was with like not the big not people involved in the story at all. It was all production people, and I was kind of worried that it would be like too uh, too niche or whatever. Um, but we kind of like gave a little context about like who all these people were, and we got amazing questions, like people asking about like all detailed stuff about the prop design. Like it, it, it's I think you know if if you if you kind of like just put it out in front of fans, pe- people will. Uh, will you know get interested in that and and dig into like the really cool behind the scenes stuff and i feel like fandom broadly has just become more and more sophisticated in regards to these types of things to be honest the trigger panels are maybe (laughs) some of the the worst ones in that regard because they often get kind of dumb questions from fans i was i was wondering about that because i i when i was i think it was we were online for terada his autographs and uh, i believe the trigger panel was happening and a panel the trigger line was happening at the same time and it was like people trying to get like their like gurren lagan things signed despite the uh, fact that, like evan like you mentioned like this is the younger generation of animators that almost certainly had nothing to do with those i was on the line for trigger uh for a little bit and then it turns out it was going to take too long so i just had to bail and I was, I, you know, I just think it's, I, you know, I'm in the industry and so I'm like so detached from that kind of stuff. So it's interesting when I'm standing on an autograph line and I can just ask a bunch of other people like, hey, what are you getting signed? Like, you know, just, just hear, I don't know, regular <laughs> fans perspective right. on this. And uh, I, I talked to a guy who was like, he had never seen them at a panel before, like at a con before. And he was getting a, he went to the dealer's room and he bought a book to get signed. Mm. And I was like, oh, let me look. And it was like a book of illustrations of Yoko from Gurren Lagan. And I was trying to really gently be like, yeah, I mean, like Otsuka can sign that because like Otsuka worked on Gurren Lagan, but, right. but the other guys didn't. Uh, and he was kind of a little perplexed. <laughs> Yeah, they're showing up for the brand more than the individual. Right, Right. and that's tough to, you have to kind of learn. Right, people had like Kill la Kill stuff, and it's like these guys were like 15 when Kill la Kill came out or something. That's the problem with a lot of um, this broad, uh, like, trigger as brand kind of thing, and then just a lot of um, 
just Twitter or uh, animation studio kind of thing is people don't haven't really learned a lot of actual creators still like broadly. So like, oh, they know like Trigger. And so they're like, oh, well, this Trigger is these people, right? So it's just like a flat, like, okay, yeah. They might know, they might know Imaishi at very least. Right. There's the thing I always say where people are like, oh, Trigger stuff always has, you know, they always go to space or whatever. And I'm like, you're talking about things directed by Imaishi and written by Nakashima. (laughs) You're yeah. not you're not talking about the studio. The studio makes like Gridman, it makes Little Witch Academia, it makes a million different things. Yeah, I mean, it's making delicious in dungeon for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. And they will not go to space in that. That would be funny. I mean the manga's not over yet. Yeah, you're right. Don't count them out. Yeah. You never know. Uh looking through other guests, uh that's most of the ones that I went to stuff for. I think the other big one was uh Kia Asamiya. I went to his panel. Yeah, Kiyosumi is cool. I didn't get to go to his panel, but uh, we interviewed him. He's uh, been around the industry forever. He uh, worked on Martian Successor Nadesco, um, done, done a lot of design work. Uh, really interesting guy. Uh, how was he at his panel? He was kind of funny. Like, he was very personable um, and was just pulling up, like, YouTube videos, which, uh, you know, don't ever do that if you're a panelist at an anime con. But if you are, you know, a famous manga artist, you're allowed to do whatever you want. So he was just pulling up stuff and talking about things he worked on. And he's kind of interesting because he's, like, both an anime and a manga guest. And he's worked very prominently. I think even he's, like, directed or, or storyboarded um, anime adaptations of his own manga, which is a pretty rare thing. I mean, you can count on one, maybe two hands, the number of people who have done that in the industry. Um, yeah, so he was really pulling up and just talking about, like, you know, kind of a career retrospective, talking about doing, like, Silent Mobius in, like, manga and anime form. Um, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, there were a lot of other pretty prominent guests, but... I don't think any of us managed to make it to any of their stuff. Like Junko Iwao is a pretty famous voice actress. Um, most notably, uh, uh, Tomoyo from Cardcaptor Sakura. David fucked up big time. I know. Didn't make it to Otakon. Um, yeah, so he fucked up big time. Um, Takaharu Ozaki, who I would have liked to see his panel because he's the, he's the uh, director of the Netflix adaptation of Bastard. Um, he also directed Girls Last Tour, um, and some other stuff, but they did a panel called Bastard Talk Show. It's so good. Which I would have loved to see. That's this podcast. Yeah, that that is this podcast, (laughs) and I would have loved to see that panel, um, but it was against something else that I was doing, and I can't remember what, so I just could not make it to it. It was a packed schedule. I feel like there were, like, quite a few things that I was, like, double double and triple booking myself for on, like, the guidebook app. Oh, yeah, 100%. there was a lot of stuff to uh, to sink your teeth into. I'm always double and triple booked at Otakon. <laughs> um, so the one I want to talk about before we move on from the guests uh, is something that you went to, Tom, which was the the Spanish voice actors. Oh yeah, panel. Uh, oh, yeah. I caught like five minutes of it, but I was busy with some other stuff. Uh, but there were a couple guys, um, Mario Castaneda. Yes. Who I believe is, he's, um... He's, he's the Latin American Spanish dub voice of Goku from various Dragon Ball series. Yeah. And, um, Romulo Bernal? I think those were the two main voice actors? Or was it... And Juan Felipe Sierra? Yeah, the other two were part of the uh, Miami-based uh, Spanish dub of My Hero Academia. Mm. So, how was how was that panel experience? It was very interesting because apparently they were supposed to be emceed by another guest who I think was like a TikToker, a lot of like TikTok and influencer style guests at this convention, which is, you know, just the way things are. Uh, but yeah, apparently they bailed on that panel. So it was like a very, almost <laughs> Wait, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they like ran the panel That's themselves. That's too on the nose. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So they ran the panel themselves and it ended up being kind of like a really like casual, uh, almost intimate sort of affair where they were like uh they were kind of moving from topic to topic uh about like what the process is like uh i i think the most interesting stuff came from uh castaneda just because he was talking about like 
you know, where anime existed in the like greater ecosystem of like voiceover work or like kind of how it like it went away at a certain point. He got he talked a bit about his roles, but I thought was very interesting is that a lot of uh, a lot of the audience interaction people would like because it was mostly guided by people raising their hands, basically. Um, But quite a few people were talking about like, oh, uh, you know, Spanish dubs help me connect with you know, my parents or grandparents about, you know, on anime, because maybe otherwise they wouldn't understand it, or they wouldn't be interested in watching it if it wasn't in Spanish. I thought that was really interesting. And it was like, there were some really touching moments like that. But all in all, like pretty interesting. I asked uh, Castaneda about apparently he was one of his early roles, the voice of Koji Kabuto in the Spanish dub of Grandizer. Though unfortunately, he did not remember too much about that one. But uh, yeah, there was there were some fun stories in there. I mean, I I was really impressed with that just as a guest choice and as a panel because we hear so much from English voice actors and anime is huge around the world. And I realized that like we're in America, but also there's a lot of Spanish speakers in America, yeah. right? And it was kind uh, of a bilingual. Like, it was kind of a bilingual panel. Like yeah, uh, answers would be given in both languages where you know, a lot of the time, sometimes they weren't, but like there were lots of people just asking questions in Spanish and sometimes they would be translated for the benefit of the whole audience. Sometimes they weren't, but it was like a very organic feeling panel. It was very chill and very interesting. And it's just a subject I'd like to see more of, right? Like, I don't know that much about like anime in Latin America and like, I I wish I had made it to that panel because that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was definitely more from the production standpoint since they were all involved in dubs. I mean, Castaneda was, you know, a different generation of dub voice actor and uh, the two other gentlemen uh, are, you know, they're, you know, doing dubs like contemporarily. But also like in America, which is very unique, apparently. That's also kind of like what I what I mean, too, is it's like it's one thing to even just have a fan do a fan panel about anime in Latin America. But but to hear about it from people who are like in the industry there, that that's even more rare. Right. I would like to see that hypothetical panel, though, about like the history of anime and and fandom in Latin America overall, because I know like little bits and pieces uh, but not in like a particularly detailed way. Cause there's like different, there's different touchstones in Latin America from other parts right, of the world. Right. I did go to a fan panel uh, that was, I think you were there to the anime in the Philippines panel. I was there for part of it, but I had to, I, I kind of jetted out halfway through to get to an autograph. Yeah. I did think that was, uh, that was interesting about like, uh, oh shoot. What is it? Uh, what's the anime that's like really big in the Philippines? Voltus type? five. Voltus five. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, I mean, the panel had like a little subtitle or something that was like, it's more than just Voltus five. Cause like Voltus five is so famous there. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of Voltus five. It was, it was a lot. Uh, and like, I didn't realize how famous it's like in, you know, it's been featured in political ads and things. Like it's just mainstream. In, I mean, they uh, just, they literally just did a live action. Uh, yeah filipino series yeah yeah it's it it's really interesting like that's always what's one of the particularly interesting things about like anime in other countries is things like voltus 5 that you're just like it's unheard of in the u.s right but it's like everybody knows it your your dad knows it in in uh the philippines i think the only thing i could really compare to that is like and it's it, it doesn't even come close in terms of the pop culture penetration but just like Voltron being popular in the US at one time and like its source material being kind of a like mid-tier mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. unremarkable robot show in Japan. Yeah. Though of course Voltus 5 is is kind of a cut above uh but like yeah, they, I know one part of the panel they t- talked about um uh they showed clips from like Japanese on the street reporters interviewing people about uh like what anime they know and like you know, Filipino tourists almost unanimously responding with Voltus 5 and then singing the theme song in Japanese. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Because the theme song was not localized in any way. Yeah, that's awesome. That rolls. There was also the one, the one that was particularly wild to me in that panel was the, uh, was it like the mil? I didn't really catch what she said about what it was. It was like a military, uh, they were dressed in kind of, you might have missed this one. Uh, it was like some kind of, it was like a fitness thing, but they were dressed in kind of military gear. So I was wondering if it was like a public service announcement or something. I think it may have been specifically like, I don't know if it was during a, specifically a pandemic thing or not, but a lot of it seemed like it was like just basic fitness you could do like in your chair pretty much or like, just but it was all done home. to the tune of the Voltus 5 theme song, I think. Yeah, it ruled. I think that's like the a last government- thing I saw before I had to. Left. like a you. government psa that's just using voltus 5 
Right. Like I can't even imagine what would be like an American equivalent. Like if you're doing that to like the Transformers theme song. Right. Right. That, like I don't think there's anything that compares in quite the same way of how ubiquitous it is. Yeah, like we're used to that in Japan, but to have that in a, in another foreign non-Japanese country is But really that it's like one specific thing and that it's one specific thing from 40 year, 50 yeah, years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Did they so because I had to leave early, did they talk at all about Ghost Fighter? Um I wrote I don't have my notes in front of me. I should, uh but I I don't remember them mentioning that. They might have. It came yeah. up in like a clip where it was like an ad for some anime network and the like it was like a reprinted letter from a viewer and it mentioned Ghost Fighter. Ghost Fighter for those unaware is the uh Filipino localization of Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, they did. They did. Now that you mention it, I yeah, I remember they showed that and talked about that it was localized as Ghost Fighter. Yeah, my understanding is that it was very popular and it's actually my first exposure to Yu Hawk Show was via my friend's Ghost Fighter trading cards what? in like middle school. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh all right, we got to probably wrap up. So any any other interesting fan panels you guys wanted to highlight? Wow. All right. Well, you know what I would highlight? the missing fan panels specifically the missing fan panelists not in attendance this year uh anybody from our friends at anime world order and also no mike tool yeah mike mike was at uh the world cup so yeah soccer stole him away and i think for the awo folks it sounded like it was kind of a mix of covid stuff and like logistics just yeah it kind of fell through there and that's you know a pretty big shame because i mean in addition to Mike wasn't there to host the discotheque panel, uh, you know, Mike will usually do some other really, really interesting, uh, I guess you'd fan panels, I guess you'd call them, right. <laughs> but semi-pro uh, and, basically. Yeah. Semi-pro panels. Uh, and like similar with, uh, with like Daryl and Gerald and Clarissa and like, uh, that was a, a shame to not have like anime's craziest deaths or dubs that time forgot or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that's fair, but I also do think it's always worth giving new people an opportunity to try sure. stuff too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Uh, you want to just wrap up with kind of general, you know, like organization stuff yeah. like that? I mean, like you mentioned before, uh, it was the highest attendance ever for the con. It was a couple thousand more than last year. Um, but it didn't feel anywhere near as crowded. And a lot of that is they did a lot of work this year on their, their line management and their crowd management, uh, in such a way that it really did make a huge difference. And it felt so much better this year. In it the still con. feels like a big space that's like not congested. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that was remarkable to me. Like I noticed the same thing. It was like, I, I, I kept talking to people being like, it feels like it's maybe lower attendance than last year, and it was higher. And that really speaks to good line management, that it can feel less congested, and you assume there's fewer people, but there's actually more. Yeah. And they and they changed a lot of the, like, so there were multiple entrances and uh, exits and a lot more flexibility, and they handled the crowd management a lot better. They got people into the building a lot faster. Uh, so it just worked a lot better. Um, there's still, you know, obviously issues, uh, where like AV issues with some of the panels. Oh, the big AV. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to have like no tech people around. There were very few and far between. And so everybody was kind of left to their own devices on the AV stuff. Yeah. They changed AV, um, providers this year. Uh, and, uh, I would bet money that the issue is the, the, the new people underestimated the level of, uh, support in multimedia that people were going to be doing at the anime con. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I would bet that is exactly what happened. I think they'll be fixing it, uh, for next year. I'd be surprised if they don't. Um, otherwise, like, best run probably Otakon in a long, long time, if ever. It didn't even feel congested in the dealer's room. Yeah. Which is, which is wild. I mean, there is still, of course, the long snaking dealer's room line, but it tended to be, like, constantly in motion. You can't stop lines, right? Like, they're, they're gonna happen. I think, like, Comiket is such a good example to me of, like, a huge line that feels manageable just because it's, like, organized and people on it are orderly and so it's like i've waited on that line for hours and it was just like it was annoying but not nearly as annoying as like an american anime con generally would be for a similar amount of time you know so you know 
good line management can make even like a line feel like oh well whatever it's moving like this, this is fine like um uh, my the only issue i ran into which is a common one uh which i think i mentioned in con feedback was the uh, uh autographs like for trigger specifically i just noticed this is like a classic autograph session problem is like they try to avoid people camping and lining up early but for particularly motivated fans like the only strategy Oticon had was to just be like, uh, the line isn't started yet, leave. And it's like, nobody's going to leave. So you just get people like hovering and stuff. Yeah, there's no solu- there's no good answer to it, unfortunately. It's basically just ticketing, but then like you just move the problem and someone camps for the tickets. Like, I don't really know what a good solution is to that. Lotteries are the best solution, but no one wants to switch to lotteries because they do kind of suck. Um, yeah, you ha- I think we were talking about that. You have to just remove... The entire like thing of making it uh, only go to the most motivated people. You just have to make it random. Exactly. Because otherwise the most motivated people will do all sorts of bad stuff to try to, to get the tickets. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Really fun. Really good. I love Otacon. I will say I do have one complaint, and it was a real missed opportunity to bring over uh, the Shinkalian uh, Japan Railways <laughs> mascot robot suit over. 100%. Uh, we actually, um, or I actually, uh, was getting, so I went to Arma, this is a, a, a very minor tangent, but it's related to Shinkalian specifically, because they should have brought Shinkalian over. Um, it's been to conventions that have had a lot less to do with trains than this one. Yeah. Uh, so I went to get Aramaki's autograph, and, uh, next to Aramaki was a bunch of people from... Uh, TMS, I think they were the, um, quintessential quintuplets guests. Cause there were like a bunch I, of people right. who were staffed for that, that were there. We didn't even talk about that. That's a big show. And it's just like, well, we kind of skipped over that whole thing when we were at the con. Yeah. Cause it's just not a thing we're into. So it just like completely yeah, missed manga, us. The manga, manga is available on uh, Azuki. <laughs> Please read it. <laughs> but. I have a little uh, coin purse of um, the mascot character yeah. from Shinkalian on my backpack. And, like, I was getting Aramaki's autograph, and while I was getting it, I noticed they were still there, and they hadn't, like, packed up yet, but their line was gone. And I was like, oh, let me finish with Aramaki, and then I'm going to come over and get an autograph from you guys, because I have a close friend who really likes the quintuplets. And he didn't go to the cons. So I was like, oh, that'll be a thing he'd like. And I go over there and they see my little Shinkalian thing and one of the guys, like they pointed, they pointed out to him and they go, Oh, hey, look, Shinkalian. And they're like, Oh, he was a script writer on Shinkalian. <laughs> uh, and I was like, Oh, what? Um, I feel bad. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but, uh, uh, that was a fun little, uh, Shinkalian moment at the con. I got a lot of good comments on my, on my merch and shirts this year, so that was fun. Shinkalian really is one of those shows that has just largely slipped between the cracks just as a result of never having a legitimate American release of any kind or streaming of any kind. Yeah. A real shame. Yeah, it's so funny because it's got a bunch of like stuff that nerds will get. Like it had the Hatsune Miku cameo, it had the Evangelion stuff, mm-hmm. which you highlighted so prominently in your panel to a very good crowd reaction. But yeah, no, no Shinkalian. Where's it at? Yeah. So yeah, overall, uh, I would agree. I really enjoyed Otakon. Uh, this was uh, this is a fun year. You know, I would like to see a couple more of my friends' panels back, but I, I Pat makes a good point about letting new voices in there. Um, yeah, uh, happy, excited to, to go back next year and to hopefully see it keep growing. Cause like it was definitely in a bit of a slump for a while, but it kept chugging along, you know, bringing good guests. So like happy to see Otakon get the attention that it deserves again. Yeah. Great con. Yeah. I had a really, I had a very good time. It just, the weekend just flew by. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Um, before we head out, Tom. Where can people find you? Hey, so I'm still Tom Aspinall on Twitter and or X. Uh, I'm also on Blue Sky now, though I haven't posted yet as of now. So I don't know. Follow me if you like. Great. Uh, and how about you, Pat? Yeah, same. I'm Pat's Prime on Twitter, but uh, follow me on Blue Sky, I guess. I'm also Pat Pr- Pat's Prime there. And then I show up on Anagamer sometimes. There's... Evan and I did some interviews at Otakon, and those will be coming out soon enough, so stay stay tuned for that. Yeah, it was fun. It was our first time teaming up on interviews, actually. So yeah. So that was a good time. 
and it was really mostly Pat. I mean, I got to throw in a couple questions, but but it was really the Pat show because the interviews we got were with the the folks that Pat was the most interested in. So we got all the mecha guys. And... I'm very much looking forward to that Tarada interview. Yeah, that's the one I didn't get to. I wasn't in there at all. So I'm I'm curious to see what comes out of it. Yeah, uh, you can read articles from me that I haven't written in a long time on Anime News Network and Otaku USA Magazine's website or back issues. We have a Patreon. Support us on patreon.com slash anygamers to get into the priority question list and access bonus articles and podcasts. Uh, and that includes a new episode David and I recorded that uh, I need to get edited soon by either me or Pat. Uh, and that was where we talked about my trip to Japan and some of the stuff I went to, including Komitia and Design Festa. And uh, you can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Anigamers Discord on anigamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anigamers.com. We'll read them on the show. We haven't gotten a lot of emails recently, but uh, please send us stuff and we'll definitely read it. Or talk to us on Twitter. I uh, Well, I, that's what's written in my notes. But uh, yeah, I mean, rest in piss. But uh, I am i don't really go on Twitter at all anymore. But I am at sign VAMPTVO, V-A-M-P-T-V-O on there. Uh, I am much more frequently on Blue Sky and Mastodon. I'm kind of cross-posting on both at the moment. So I am uh, VAMPTVO.BSky.Social on there. And uh, VAMPTVO at Mastodon.Social on Mastodon. And uh, finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And uh, please leave us reviews to help more people find the show. Thank you uh, to Pat and Tom for coming on this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in about a month. Later. Later.